I'm Paige Waterhouse. And I'm Nabil Reza. From the Cavalier Daily, this is On Record. In mid-October, the university released a statement saying that they will be allowing students to opt into a credit, general credit, no credit grading system. If students choose this grading option, it will not affect their GPA. In order to get full credit, a student must receive a C or higher. General credit is given if they receive a passing grade below a C. And no credit is for if they receive an F. A grade of credit will count for all graduation and major requirements. This decision came as a response to a petition by students and support from clubs and organizations on grounds, including student council. Last year, when UVA sent students online, they created a default credit, general credit, no credit grading system that allowed students the option to take their classes for grades on a course-by-course basis. UVA's decision mirrors the decision of other universities across the country. The University of Massachusetts Amherst offered students three courses in which they could switch to credit, no credit, with the deadline being November 20th. Bowdoin University originally intended to switch back to traditional grading for fall 2020, but due to an outcry from students from a petition started by Mitchell Yaroushek, class of 2021, the administration changed this policy, allowing students to take up to four courses for credit D fail, choosing before Thanksgiving. Drexel University and the University of Pennsylvania moved to pass-fail systems in which students had to note their preferences by October. UVA is unique compared to other schools mentioned in that it didn't set a limit on how many courses could be credit, general credit, no credit. Near the beginning of the semester, Student Council released a survey as a way for students to rank their preferences for the grading system. This survey predefined 14 barriers to learning, which included difficulty learning over Zoom, loneliness, time zone differences, family relationships, mental health and financial insecurity, amongst others. Out of all of these proposed barriers, students identified most with hard-to-focus off-grounds, difficulty learning over Zoom, and loneliness. After this survey, the student council concluded credit, general credit, no credit was the most equitable grading option and moved forward from there. The impact of the student council on the implementation of the credit, general credit, no credit option is a testament to student government. But it is important to note that the Young Democratic Socialists of America at UVA and other organizations were pushing for this option since the beginning of the semester. One of the main forces behind this push to credit, general credit, no credit, was a petition attached to an open letter which received 1,737 signatures from students, 66 from organizations on grounds, and two from faculty. The letter is built upon previous efforts from fellow students in YDSA at UVA, the Minority Rights Coalition, and the First Generation Low Income Partnership. Additionally, the open letter offered a template for emailing the provost and the president about adopting a credit, general credit, no credit system, and encouraged students to get involved in the push for a more equitable grading system this semester. We got a chance to speak with Matt Gillum, a co-creator of the open letter. He explained the overall process and motivations behind it. My name is uh, Matt Gillum. I'm a, I use he, him pronouns. I'm a fourth year student um, in the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy. Um, so I'm majoring in public policy and leadership um, and I'm a minor in architecture. Um, and I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Okay, so to start us off here, um, I'd like to kind of shape a timeline of this petition and how you came to be one of the co-writers. Yeah, so in complete fairness and transparency and um, to ensure that everybody everybody who was kind of a part of this process 
um, is recognized for being a part of this process. Um, there are folks that have been advocating for this since as early as June um, and throughout the summer. So um, the YDSA chapter at UVA has been working on this for a long time. FLIP, the first gen low income partnership had been working on it for a long time. Um, and, and student council had been working on this like at large. Like there were, there were a lot of folks doing a lot of different things. And I think um, something that, that we realized pretty, pretty early on um, was that there's really no formal procedure by which you change a grading framework, right? That's kind of the point. Um, so there were a lot of folks doing a lot of different things down a lot of different avenues. I wanna say it was early September, um, a group that I'm a part of um, called the Presidential Senate, which is um, a group of uh, school presidents and, and class presidents um, that work together on kind of high, some higher level things um, and just like make sure that we're, we're all kind of coordinating. Um, we released a statement um, that was like not fairly hard hitting um, in early September, basically saying that we were calling for um, default uh, or, or optional credit, no credit. Remember that our kind of next step was um, to channel through the faculty senate, which is kind of the student council of the faculty. Um, and each school has representatives to the faculty senate. So um, all of these school presidents um, were going to begin to like kind of touch base with their faculty senators and be like, hey, this is something that's that's a priority for us. Like, let's talk about what this might look like in the faculty senate. So. Um, I happened to get a timely and um, excited response from our faculty senator, um, Professor Pennick, um, and I, I met with Professor Pennick at least three times, maybe four times, um, to discuss kind of what I saw as the pro and con pros and cons of different policies and our potential policies rather, and, and kind of just like to get my thoughts on it. Um, and I think that that was a really good framework by which I then kind of moved forward with this. Um, so it was September 18th, um, the faculty senate met for a normal meeting, um, which, um, anybody is welcome to join as far as I understand. You just have to email to get the, like, access to the Zoom. Um, and so myself and the president of the College of Arts and Sciences, who had been working on this, um, amongst these other folks, um, decided that we were going to Zoom in. We actually Zoomed in together, um, because the last 15 minutes of that meeting had been... Um, scheduled for Professor Pennick, my faculty senator, to bring up this issue of credit, no credit. And then they talked over on the prior issue and did not end up touching it in that inner, in, on September 18th, they ended up not touching credit, no credit. Upon then retouching base with Professor Pennick, um, I kind of realized that what the faculty senate was going to bring to a vote potentially um, was a policy that I wasn't 100% excited about, and some of my peers shared that um, sentiment. Um, so upon talking with Professor Pennick, I, I, I kind of shared that, and um, in the week following September 18th, um, basically came to the conclusion that we were going to try and explore a different avenue, um, because even if the faculty senate had voted on a policy and passed it, which seemed unlikely, and also the policy that they were talking about wasn't great, Right? Not all credit, no credit proposals are created equal. Um, but with Professor Pennick's blessing of sorts, um, he encouraged me to explore kind of another avenue. And um, myself, I, I began to write this open letter and then roped in um, Dre, who's the president of the College of Arts and Sciences, um, because she's a friend of mine and we were both super impassioned about this issue. And it felt like the, the next logical step to be like, hey, we've kind of like decided that the, the pressure points 
um, of like seeing this policy enacted, like perhaps a large showing of student support would be a really next, or a, a positive next step. Um, so we began to craft this letter and then the letter came out, mm -hmm. I wanna say it was the 29th of September. Does that sound vaguely right? Yes. <laughs> I think so. I think it was the 29th of September. Um, the evening of the 28th, we had kind of finished off our letter and, and brought in Ellen, who's the student council president. Um, and some of the student council members have been working on this and um, some of the leadership at student council have been, have been meeting with folks about this for an extended period of time. And so Tuesday came around and we decided that we were gonna release this um, as an open letter from the three of us um, and seek signatures and support like in, in kind of that sense. Um, so that happened on Tuesday. Um, which happened to like just by chance, total chance, be the same day that the YDSA um, put out a petition. Um, so we touched base with them. We made sure we were all working kind of um, behind the scenes to make sure that like folks were in touch and like um, that these things weren't happening without some communication. The letter came out very quickly. It, it received a ton of support um, just by us sharing it down our kind of channels. Um, and by the end of that week, we pivoted and started to kind of send this to some of the deans. As it became clear that the deans and the provost were gonna make this decision, um, we got in touch with the provost's office, we got in touch with the deans. When we started to accumulate 700, 800, then suddenly it was 1,000, 1,200. Um, and from Friday was our, I think our first meeting with a dean. Throughout the weekend, um, it became clear that the deans and the provost were gonna meet on Monday um, and then it ended up being pushed, like a more formal meeting got pushed to Tuesday and then Tuesday to Friday, they were in and out of meetings, kind of getting into the nitty gritty of what this looked like. We ended up talking to practically every Dean, um, whether that was via email or like an actual meeting. Um, and somewhere in there, we started collecting testimonials because the testimonials were really strong um, and compelling in the sense that like they painted a really human picture of what folks were feeling um, for the Deans, which uh, we ended up getting ended up with somewhere over 70 testimonials um, on our form. Somewhere in there, we also started to touch base with faculty. Um, so I had a couple of meetings with faculty members about whether or not they'd wanna sign. Um, we ended up getting two faculty signatures. And then ultimately we met with the provost on Thursday, two Thursdays ago, right? I think I times I don't even know anymore, but um, we met with the provost on Thursday um, and got a bit more clarity. There was nothing definitive, but we felt good coming out of that meeting. Um, and the provost was was really understanding and really like just wanted to hear our perspectives, which was really valuable. Um, and then Friday, I mean, we were totally as surprised as everybody else when we got that email. Um, there was no prior um, reaching out to us. We kind of, that came out, we touched base with the provost later in the day. Um, and now we're um, kind of encouraging some of these um, like uh, um, school presidents. Um, so folks that are like presidents of their own schools, like I'm the president of Batten, um, to really work with their administration and make sure that students are given appropriate guidance on like what your decision-making process should look like when you're taking credit or not. Um, and to make sure that we are, everybody's in the know about the resources that exist. Because um, there are Sources for folks that like have extenuating circumstances um, and to like just make sure that we're prepared for folks that might encounter new same recurring problems um, November 7th on 
Um, so that's certainly a conversation that I've begun to have with Batten folks um, is to like make sure that we're prepared to like best serve our students 24-7 um, um, and all, all times of day. Um, because I think, that's, I think that's really important and kind of the next step in this ongoing saga. Another important aspect of this grading system is how it is going to affect students' competitiveness and eligibility when applying to graduate schools or even schools within the university. Some medical schools have caused students to make some difficult choices. Harvard and Georgetown have announced that they will take a past prerequisite. However, Georgetown has announced that they encourage students to submit letter grades if possible. Other medical schools, like Johns Hopkins University, will not accept a pass-fail credit for fall 2020 unless it is the only grading option offered. When COVID-19 hit universities in the spring, students across the country called upon graduate schools to change their policies. They urged for these schools to be compassionate towards students who are experiencing uncertainty and unprecedented stress. Importantly, these changes did not apply to graduate students at the university. Some graduate students are pushing for this change. We spoke to Trey Tennyson, who is advocating for this change in the graduate schools at the university. My name is Trey Tennyson. I am the chair of the Graduate and Professional Council here at UVA. Uh, I also am a second year currently at Darden, but also a double who went to UVA for undergrad class of 2010. As you know, Trey, the university recently passed a credit, general credit, no credit system for undergrad students. Mm -hmm. What does the grad school's grading system look like as of now? Yeah, we fortunately have seen a lot of positive movement on this uh, issue on the graduate professional side of things. Uh, first, out of the gate, we had the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. Uh, last Monday, sent the announcement to its students that they were going to also move to a credit, no credit system or option for their students in response to, of course, the realities that we're facing. Nothing has materially changed since the spring, and they recognize that. And the university giving that option to undergraduates, as well as releasing any sort of constraints that would have prevented the graduate and professional schools from doing that, really gave them the ability to do that. So they were the first ones to really make that move. And then Batten extended the same option to its graduate students at their school, because of course, Batten has a mixture of undergraduates and graduate students. And then um, as of this past Friday, Darton has also made the move to allowing credit or no credit with a, with a caveat that students are able to view their grades first at the end of the semester or the end of the quarter and then decide if they want to make a credit or credit and um and they can do that for up to three credit hours uh for the 2020 2021 school year so for darden that's generally about two classes and as of right now i think these discussions are still being had at the other graduate professional schools i know that there are some discussions happening among first years at the law school and i think for for other programs it's a bit tenuous because they oftentimes use their GPAs for employment or residency placements. And so there is, of course, an interest among the staff, faculty, and even some, even some of the students to maintain GPAs. But of course, uh, finding ways to provide some sort of flexibility to students who really need it now. So student council was behind a some of the push for this option with the undergraduate students. Were mm -hmm. the self-governance bodies in the grad schools also active in advocating for this option for graduate students? Yes, absolutely. This past week, I joined Darden Student Advisory Council and the Associate Dean for Academics there, alongside members of Darden's uh, Student Association, which is basically like Darden Student Council. 
And we worked on advocating for a solution for Darden students. And fortunately, like the solution that came out of that meeting was the one that, that the faculty and the staff also agreed to. And we were able to get some traction there. As you said before, all kinds of students are going through hardships that are very specific to this time and are unprecedented. Are there any challenges that grad students in particular face um, as compared to undergraduate students, or is it roughly the same sort of situation? I would say that, I mean, there are a number of similarities, but one of the really key features of the graduate professional population um, are students who are also parents and who have come here with families. And so one of the situation we see here, like we have about 12% of all graduate and freshman students are parents and they have their kids here with them. And that creates a situation where these people are at home taking their classes. They are trying to balance their schoolwork virtually as well as taking care of their children and their family, their partner. And that could be a lot for students to, to handle in addition to their academic requirements and recruiting and all those things as well. So one of the things that we're really seeing is, you know, it is an issue of equity because for one, these students don't really have access to adequate or inexpensive childcare. So they have to do these things at the home. And so they're under a whole different set of conditions and stressors that other students who are in their classes are not. And so we're looking at ways to really build policies to address those needs because it is a very large part of our population. So I think just in general, right, when we were looking at this question of credit, no credit, there is this, this, this tension between, okay, well, like what are the downsides? What are the upsides? But I think, you know, looking at this question of parents and equity is let's always consider first the human costs. Let's consider who is, you know, struggling the most among us, who is suffering the most, who needs the most support and begin crafting policies that respond to those needs. You already mentioned some of the uses for grades in graduate professional schools. Um, a lot of undergraduate students are, um, you know, limited from taking credit and no credit classes um, as to apply to graduate schools and other programs. What are the similar concerns among the graduate school population as far as what would keep them from keep taking credit and no credit? Yeah, I would. Uh, one of the key things, for example, is that a lot of employers like a lot of law firms, for example, do use GPA as a benchmark for how they're going to hire students. You also have residency programs for the medical school and how people are getting placed in those programs. That's a big part of it. You know, in some some jobs from the MBA programs might want to, you know, might be interested in what your GPA is, but that that is actually less of a feature of, of, of the MBA program and more so on your work output that you do through your internships or the, your leadership experiences before or during school. Then also you have GSAS, for example, like research and how that gets impacted, you know, and I think one of the, the key things, right, is, you know, what is really, how is GPA being used and what is being evaluated and how is all that really tending towards what student outcomes can be? So for example, right, in PhD programs, you have students who are doing research and they are writing dissertations and they're publishing and they're doing great things like that. And so GPA has a, maybe a slightly different impact on how it reflects what those students are actually doing in their day to day, because, you know, based on what you publish or, or what you discover or what you put out, that might determine where you are able to get your job post-graduation at a university or in a faculty or research position uh, somewhere down the line. So um, 
Yes, I think that the employment outcomes are a big part of it, as well as, you know, there is the secondary concern of awards and honors and how people are able to leverage those things to demonstrate what they're doing. I think also some students just also have an interest in saying, hey, like, I've done, you know, these things, I've worked hard, I want to have a chance to reflect that. But at the same time, right, that, um, that those students are able to choose not to take a credit, no credit for one of their grades. So, so the policy in those terms really is there to support those students needed and then still allow for students who don't choose to use it to continue and support their own objectives academically and professionally at the university. Thank you so much for um, talking to me, Trey. I really enjoy your input and it was great hearing this perspective. As universities across the country attempt to deal with inequities and a learning environment that continues to be stressful, isolating, and difficult to manage, it will cause other institutions to also consider these problems and adapt to an upcoming applicant pool that will have both letter grades and passes as prerequisites. If students are interested in switching to the credit, general credit, no credit system, they can do so per University Provost Liz McGill's instructions sent out via email which say, quote, For undergraduate courses that are not yet complete, undergraduate students will have the option to change from a standard grade in a class to a credit, general credit, no credit grade. Students will need to make the switch in CIS from a standard grade to a credit, general credit, no credit option between Monday, November 2nd and Friday, November 6th, end quote. On Record is written by Neela Connaughton, Will Bird, Peyton Guthrie, Ariana Aronson, Sophia Moore, Genevieve Charles, Maggie Lynn, Karen Sun, and Kristen Davidson Schwartz. The show is produced by Carmen Mew, David Hunt, Anne Williams, and Grace Bluehardy. Our editor is Nabil Raza. Thanks for listening. This has been On Record.